Welcome to the Wallaway. My name is Imran Nanlawala, and I'm here with two special friends, my old friend Abdullah and my new friend, Dr. Athur. Guys, you are here representing, what is the name of your organization? It's called A Continuous Charity. A Continuous Charity. Why such a name? Uh, well, actually, it was named after the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ when he said, when a man dies, all of his deeds come to an end, except for three. And one of those was Asadaqatun Jariyah, A Continuous Charity. Let me stop you guys because this is, so our, most of our listeners are not uh, from a particular faith. So can you guys translate exactly what you're saying? And then I want you to talk about why this principle is important in your life. That's a good point. So I guess the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, uh, in one of his traditions, mentioned that when any person dies, all of his deeds come to an end. And one of those is a continuous charity. And what a continuous charity means is a charity that continues to give even after you've passed away. And why that's important to us as Muslims is that when we pass away, we want something to continue to elevate our deeds so that when we meet God on the Day of Judgment, we'll have a large pile of good deeds, hopefully, hoping to attain His mercy on that day and then enter the final abode of, of paradise. Is it like planting a seed? It's very similar to planting a seed, yes. Okay, wonderful. So you guys have, a, you have this organization and you're collecting money for what exactly? So the whole concept of the organization is to promote education amongst the Muslim community. Unfortunately, college education has skyrocketed about 300% in the last 10 years. As an example, so we can all understand, milk, if it were to escalate at the same rate as college education, it would be $15 a gallon. And who could afford that? SubhanAllah. God is great. So the, the point of this organization is to then bridge the gap and helping Muslims go to school without having to take an interest-based loan. As an interest based loan is forbidden in our religion and so it, then it makes it really difficult to provide the finances to get that higher education you know this this concept makes sense for everybody because imagine somebody takes out a twenty thousand dollar loan right today they're 18 years old they're 19 years old they go to the um you know the registrar's office and financial aid office they filled out their FAFSA. so they've done everything they can but imagine they come in with like a $2,000 grant from the government. Great. Thanks, Trump. Yeah, we got that. All right. So the rest of the $18,000 has to be either a subsidized or an unsubsidized loan. You tell me an 18-year-old knows what that is? I don't think so. So imagine they went with unsubsidized, which is the interest starts right away today. Or they go with subsidized, which means the interest starts in six months after graduation. You know, the grace period, unless they enroll into grad school right away. So now imagine this person... They take out one of these loans. Over time, the interest they're paying, let's say it's between 5 and 8%. That's the average interest rate. They're going to end up paying something like $18,000 worth of interest on this over 18 years. That's the average uh, you know, amount of years that a student pays off their interest-based loan on. So what we say is, why give $18,000 to the bank? Why? Why give it to the financial institutions? Why not save it and put it back in the pocket of the student? Because look, this person is going to graduate, right? They're going to have to start off their life. Why do they have to start off their life in the negative? So this is what we say. We have a pot of money that everybody's contributing to, kind of like a co-op, right? We put this money in this pot. Now, student applies to get money from this pot. And we've got our own. Uh, I'll let Alter go through uh, basically the interview process and the application process and whatnot. But we've got a system. The student applies. If he, he or she selected in the system, then they get an interest-free loan. Then after they graduate, they pay back, right? They pay back that loan off uh, as fast as they can uh, or, you know, based upon their income. 
once they pay back that loan, there's already another student waiting in line to get because now the pot is full again. This student takes uh, uh, another another interest based non interest based loan. So what I'm understanding is two things. Number one, you're doing this because there's a principle in the religion that says do good, do something that has value and that helps others. Correct. That and particularly interest, kind of like usury in the Christian religion. And other, you know, religions have uh, the Jewish faith also prohibits this. Uh, in particular, usury is prohibited. Yes, we want to do good, but in particular, we want to avoid people from having to pay usury, which also saves the money. Absolutely. But why education? Why? I mean, why not this uh, in a, in another form, helping build houses or buy houses? What is particularly special about education? Does it connect or resonate with you guys in any way? Well, so particularly education connects. I feel like in the twenty first century, it's really an essential element of being part of the society. It really can take someone out of the depths of poverty and uplift them at least into the middle class, if not even get to the upper class. And not only that, providing for that individual, but then his family and generations to come. So education in the 21st century is just like food and water and housing. It's that critical. And I think, unfortunately, as the cost continues to increase, it prevents a large amount of people, especially those in the inner city and those with from the low socioeconomic status, to prevent themselves from getting to a place where they can then help their children to break that cycle and to continue their lives. So I think education, it's vital. How would how would a service like this have helped you guys when you were students? You know, I'll give you my example. So I grew up in Connecticut, um, small town, and I kind of wanted to get away because I knew, uh, I knew everybody and everybody knew me. And I was like, I don't want to go to college with these people, go to UConn where I'm going to be seeing the same faces over and over again. And honestly, maybe I was bullied a little bit in school. So I decided to go to Purdue. Uh, you know, it's a it's a public school still, um, but it was out of state, expensive school, really great school. So I started to uh, incur um, debt and I started to incur bills that I had never seen before. Right. So I started working off campus. I had a work study job through FAFSA. You, you get of course, you get grants. Uh, you get financial aid, um, you get loans. The other thing you get is work study. So I said, okay, they gave me work study, but the work study pays you pennies, honestly. It pays you less than the off-campus job. So I was doing both. Uh, what happens when you're dedicating a large uh, you know, portion of your day to working? You're not doing the other stuff, which is studying. So since I wasn't studying as much, it was more challenging for me because I didn't have the family support. I went out of, out of state. Um, both of those uh, you know, were helping me not get good grades when i say not good grades i was failing some of my classes so that's what it does you know you asked um how this has applied to me in my life i I feel if i had interest-free loans if i didn't have to worry about the interest piling up if i didn't have to worry about the cost of education um i would be doing a lot better focusing on school i mean one way i look at it is if there's something like this existed at my time i would have been more um, it would have been easier for me to pursue, say, getting a medical degree, right? Because one thing that I always felt hindered me for, uh, to study medicine was the fact that, one, it was very costly, and two, with the interest, I would have to pay back even more. So what kind of applicants are you guys seeing come through, and what type of stories have you had with with students that have entered in the program? So that's a really good question. I mean, our organization doesn't have a particular type of applicant that we look for. It's really based off our criteria, which I can get to in a few minutes. But in general, we get people from the undergraduate studies, master's programs, PhDs. Now, unfortunately, you know, pharmacy, medical school, those are, that's a different beast and all together. And we've tried to been working with other people in the community to figure out a good solution for the cost of medical education. 
Uh, but definitely we do, we do a lot of PhDs, a lot of masters, and a lot of uh, undergrad studies in all different types of fields. We feel like the organization shouldn't tell people what to do in terms of their future careers. Or the whole point of the organization is to help encourage you to do what your dreams are, but do it in a way that you're going to have the blessings of God with you rather than you feeling that you have to sacrifice your religion to attain a worldly education. Yeah, and peace of mind as well, right? Yeah, I mean, you. we have had countless stories from those recipients, as you were saying, that are so much stress within when they see the bills piling up, when they see their loan that was initially 10000 now becomes 12000 Even they're making payments, but they keep on getting farther away from their principal. I mean, it's such a strange concept, and unfortunately, really, the students are the victim because at the age of 18, 19, they're signing this contract for, like, who knows, 15, 20 years from now, and they all they really want to do is pursue their dreams get an education, get married, get kids, and r- 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 have a regular life. And do, you, able to do, do you guys find it as a source of motivation that when you do encounter these students and you see how it helps them, does this help you keep going and getting through the initial phases of starting up a nonprofit, starting up an organization? I mean, does this does this drive you guys? Oh, definitely. I mean, there have been countless stories, like we mentioned, people who have just emailed us looking for help in dire need. I mean, just the other day we were talking to some um, somebody from uh, Chicago, and they're telling us in Northwestern, a student this last week hung themselves oh, man. out of the stress of life and stress of being a student. And I mean, it can get really that bad. And we've heard stories that bad. And, and that may be an extreme case, but you can just imagine the amount of stress and where that happens. And when they see our organization coming to their aid, coming to help them pursue their dreams and not take advantage of them and not treat them like a business and a way to make money off of them, but the, a way for them to then become the person they want to be and for us to help that and mentor them i think it, it really shows us what our organization can be and what will be in the future for these young individuals yeah and and, and these graduates who go through our system right this in, interest-free loan system they pay it forward too they come and then they start donating in small amounts but this helps you know raise money in that pool so the next student in line you know gets funded um so like for example you know college debt it's um it's crazy uh, People have hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. Uh, they don't get done paying until they're perhaps very old if it's if it's an interest-based debt. So I'll give you an example. From Washington, D.C., Angie writes. Um, she is in $260,000 worth of debt. Angie says that student loans dictates everything in her life. Her decision about jobs, children, marriage, buying a house, saving for retirement, and also dictates her day-to-day mental health. So would you guys... Because, you know, when, when someone starts an initiative like this, there's hurdles, there's hiccups, there's even stress for the organizers, right, such as yourselves. So do you feel that beyond the obvious, are there any other benefits to doing something like this? Or do you guys feel that most of the benefits do come from the spiritual religious side? Like what is the primary motivating factor to continue doing this work? So, I mean, for me personally... I feel like there is a heavy emphasis on the spiritual satisfaction that I get. I feel that if we can help someone not only pursue their dreams, but then to do it in a way that pleases God, I feel that that in and of itself kind of makes me continue to want to do this. But at the same time, I can see the worldly benefit. Friends, in my personal my personal life situation, I was blessed by God to have a father that funded my entire education. So he funded my undergrad. He funded my graduate school. He actually paid for my wife and my kids until I finally got a job. So, I mean, I was really blessed. And, you know, I see, and but during that process, I found hundreds of people who didn't have that same blessing. 
and the practical sense of me being able to then bring an organization, a framework, a structure with infrastructure to then help other people do it. I mean, uh, to have like a situation that I didn't, that that's have a sense like I did have, I mean, that just in and of itself also helps me continue doing to doing this work. So you're paying it forward in the sense your father supported you and your family and now you want to support the larger community, right? Yeah, that's exactly true. What do you think the future holds for the organization in regards to, do you guys feel that it can be a sustaining model and then also do you think others can replicate it? So that's a really good question and I think... There are so many organizations out there that do great work. I mean, we're talking about relief organizations, you know, helping orphans, and there's so so many war-torn areas around the world that need a lot of support. And when you give money to the organizations, and we all should, that money goes to that country and that goes to those people, and they use it, and they need it. But it, that money never comes back, and that's understandable because they're in dire situations. They need for food, they need shelter, they need the basic necessities of life. And and that's that, and, and, and the money never comes back. But our organization is completely different. So not only are we giving money to people to help them become independent individuals, but then as they become independent, then like you said, they pay it for, they pay that money right back. And that adds to the sustainability of this organization. So that's one thing. All the money that is donated and then loaned out, it comes right back. So that's one one way that we feel it'll be sustainable. Secondly, we're trying to make an endowment. And basically the concept of the endowment is we're going to have some money in some investment vehicle. And that vehicle will generate a certain amount of return on investment. And with that return on investment, we'll hope to fund the organization, the operational costs completely. And then at the same time, having extra money to then give out money for loans. And so hopefully with money coming in from loans, money coming in from this investment, and all of our operational costs taken care of, we feel that this will be a very sustainable project. So that in the future, people don't have to donate to this organization they can actually go back to those relief organizations to donate the money where it should be going. And hopefully our graduates will be part of that process as well. Yeah, and you asked, you know, can others also replicate this uh, sustainability? I think, Arthur, you hit it on the nail, right? Uh, The product is already sustainable because money goes out, money comes back in, this pool gets regenerated. Um, And then, of course, we're building our endowment up. So can others replicate it? Absolutely, and we encourage that, by the way. Um, We don't look at other... Forms, um, you know, nonprofits that come up and are, uh, are are loaning money to students. We want that. Currently, you know, we are an emergency fund. You can see we bridge the gap. Uh, if you look at a conventional bank or um, lenders, right, they want you to take a bigger loan out. Why? Because then they get more interest over time. We want you to take the smallest loan out. We push the students go get scholarships. We push the students to, you know, make sure they filled out the FAFSA. They went to friends and family to try to see what money they could borrow, what money they could get. They, uh, you know, work the summer jobs as much as they can, right? And then we'll help them bridge the gap if they're a qualified applicant. So, you know, we're, we're trying to actually get the student to pay back as fast as possible. On average, our students pay us back between four to five years. Um, on average, the bank wants you to take the longest time to pay back. Hey, why don't you just pay the minimum payment to us and pay it for us like, you know, over 21 years. Uh, we don't want that. We want the student to be out of debt as soon as possible. We want the money back as possible so we don't lose it over inflation, right? So the model is completely different than conventional lending. It is a disruptive model and we want others to copy us. We, we're hoping others copy us because look, um, we can only help so many students. We've only been able to help 120 students in five years with $1.45 million. I mean, that might sound like a big number, but when the student debt crisis is $1.5 trillion, that's 0.001 damage that we just did. 
we want others to join us and create a, a products like this we will even give them our system right um the way that we're actually growing is by forming chapters in different states and cities so we've got a chapter you know tampa florida we've got one in cleveland ohio we've got one in minneapolis minnesota um we've got one in michigan so uh, and then we're based in Texas. So we're trying to grow with this chapter relationship. If any organization out there says, hey, we like this idea, we want to talk to them. If they want to replicate it, they're only helping us because, look, we want the students to take out as less of a loan as possible and don't come to us if possible because we're just the emergency fund. So talk to us now about where we can find out more about the organization, where a prospective student can apply for a, a loan, an emergency loan. Where do we get more information from? So you can definitely find us at acceducate.org. We're online. We have some social media presence on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, and you can also email us at secretary at acceducate.org. And he had mentioned how can someone apply. So our, our application is open January 15th to April 15th of every single year. And just to touch briefly on the application criteria. Uh, so number one is how well that person is doing in their school. So there's scholastic merit. So for us, we look at GPA, we look at standardized test scores, we look at, and what that means for us is if someone's doing well in school, they'll graduate, they'll be able to get a job, and they're able to pay that loan back. So that's number one. Number two is their Islamic awareness. We want people who are being taking time and investing in developing themselves, developing that personal and spiritual relationship with their creator, Allah, and also the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and his traditions. And we want people to do that because we feel like if they're able to do that, that shows there's some sense of, you know, God consciousness. And that for when they finish their education, they get a job, then more, more likely they'll to pay us back. So that's number two. Uh, number three is their community service. The whole goal of our organization is to invest into people that have already committed to helping their, or their community. Whether it be through youth groups or through Habitat for Humanity or feeding the poor, helping the needy, so on and so forth. The main concept is that we want that niche of people to do well in school. So when they take that to the next level, when they get their job and their education, they'll be continue to be committed to helping the underserved. And on top of that, when they know that their funding is coming from the community and they have that relationship with the community, they'll feel even more pressure to return the money that they took from the community. Uh, so that's number three. Number four is the need. Obviously, we like to fund people who come from a low socioeconomic status refugees, things of that nature. So people who truly need the money, not someone who has a family that could potentially fund their own education. So that's number two, number four. I, I want to add to mm -hmm. that. So the way that we look at need is a little bit different, right? So we say, okay, well, your, your parents are making 100K. Great. Um, you, you know, you guys uh, don't have much debt. No problem. But can you and your parents afford the education 100% without interest? If you can't, then we look at that as you need the money. Because we don't want you to take any interest-based loans. So um, somebody could be making $150,000, $200,000 by going to med school. Do you think $200,000 will pay for med school? No way. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, med school costs $400,000 uh, altogether. So the, the point is that need is relative. Well, we, we encourage everybody to apply. If you can, can't afford all 100% of your tuition, we still look at your need. That's true. Um, and last but not least is the location. So the goal of our organization is to provide funding to communities that believe in our cause. So if we see someone, a place like Michigan, a place like Dallas or Los Angeles, and they're donating heavily to our organization, for us that means they believe in our cause and they support our cause, so we feel obliged to then also support their students. 
so they can see their money taking effect in their local community. And so those are the five basic application criteria that we use when we're sifting through all of the applicants that we get each year. Yeah, and uh, to add to the location, if somebody applies from like North Dakota or Anchorage, Alaska, where we may not get any donations from, we'll still consider them as long as they're strong in the other four categories. So you guys are really vetting the, the people that come through, and it seems like the process is very effective because you're looking for academic merit, but you're also basically looking for people who are going to invest in the future generation of scholarship recipients exactly. based on what they do in the communities and based on what they're doing in school, etc. So in general, in closing, guys, what else do you have to say to the listeners? What does the future of ACC hold? And what what are your parting message? You know, uh, I just want to touch on one thing real quick, which I didn't, which was, um, you know, what if others replicate this? We hope that we can create a system. Our endowment grows big enough. Um, our hope is within the next 10 years, it's a $10 million endowment or, or, or greater than that. Um, we hope in 10 years, the cost of education goes down. On, honestly, we hope in 10 years, the government does something about the student loan crisis. But let's just say it's business as usual. We hope in 10 years to have a large enough endowment to take care of the Muslim community and launch a product for the greater community. Because you know what? Everybody needs interest-free loans to go to college. Um, so we're hoping, my hope is that somebody replicates this um, for the greater community, for everybody in the U.S., everybody in the world that, that can't afford college education um, and creates these cooperatives. Um, so I want, first of all, I'm interested in seeing that. Um, next, you ask, what does uh, the future of ACC hold? So the future of ACC, I feel like, again, it's mainly based off of our endowments. And Abdullah, you kind of hit it on the nail there. Um, you know, this endowment is hopefully going to serve as a way for us to not only provide our operational costs so that, again, so that when you donate to the organization, 100% of your funds are going to be invested into students and their future. Uh, secondly, then hopefully with the revenue that we'll generate from this endowment will then be used to fund actual students. Uh, and that way, again, freeing up the funds for other people to donate to actual other causes that we feel might have more of an urgency or, or more of a crisis. Um, I feel like, you want, Well, I, yeah, no, I mean, as part of the future, like I said, we want to grow, right? So we want other organizations to contact us, build chapters, grow that way. That's future for ACC. We're looking to grow into Canada. There's a partner organization that's already set aside uh, a bunch of money to start this same process. Um, and we don't mind being behind the scenes system and somebody else has their name on it. We just want the work to get done. Is there any principle in the religion that mentions, you know, because we're here, we're talking about replicating, right? So if others replicate the, the model, is there any principle in the religion that mentions if you start something good and others replicate your model or do what you're doing? Is there any inherent benefit in that? You're leading me on, man. <laughs> well, uh, definitely. You know, like uh, there's a saying from the Prophet Muhammad that says, um, which basically means, you know, somebody who guides to something good, it gets the reward of that something good. Like you teach somebody math and they now know math. They, they can, you know, go to the grocery store. They know, they, they, they know math. They teach it to their kids. Their, people are benefiting. You planted the seed. So you get rewarded for that. So definitely, if others, uh, you know, copy this model, uh, we will definitely, you know, get the reward. Hopefully, or Arthur will get the reward as he started the organization. So how did you start the organization? Uh, so that's a good question. I mean, um, the 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 reason why. So there's a, a lot of reasons I feel that I started the organization. Um, 
Number one, I feel like my father is a huge proponent of education. And he came from a place in India where he used to, I remember he used to tell me stories about him studying under the streetlights. And when the streetlights would turn off, I mean, he would be forced to go back home and go to sleep. So he came from a situation where of, of just poverty, destitute, not having enough food, not having enough clothing, enough water. But because of the education that God had allowed him to obtain and through his hard work, he was able to come from the streets of India to become a doctor uh, in the United States. And now not only being a doctor, but bringing his family to the States, then providing education for all of my, all my siblings. And, and so I felt like that was one of the reasons I felt like education is a game changer. It's something that can take someone from the depths of poverty wow. to, the, to, to become self-sufficient, which is what one of our one of the key concepts of our religion, that we want to be independent, only depending on God himself. Uh, so that's one reason I think the story behind the whole organization, uh, when I was in San Diego, we used to have, a, there's a large Somali refugee population there, and we used to do youth groups for them because, you know, the Somali refugees, unfortunately, their father works, you know, almost 24 hours a day. Uh, the mom is also working. They have a bunch of kids. There's not that much guidance in the house. Uh, and so we would see a lot of these youth that have a lot of skills. I mean, they can memorize the Holy Quran, 600 and some pages, front to back, without having any issues. But what we see is them, they ha- they kind of get drawn away from higher education, and they get stuck into jobs because they need to support their family as well. I mean, imagine you have a, a mom, a dad, and eight kids. And now you have, you know, two or three kids that can actually work rather than go to college. So the parents might encourage them to actually work instead of go to college or to work. And that work might interfere with their college studies. So we felt that there needs to be some mentoring and some future plan development with these children. This, you know, and this mentorship, I think, is really, really important, which is part of why our organization focuses on mentoring. So that was definitely a reason why we started the organization to help provide that mentoring quality for these kids who have amazing talent. And would hate for the greater community to lose out on this, on these brilliant um, undiscovered gems. You mentioned something interesting that I want to touch upon. Uh, you mentioned the, the story of your father. So him studying under the street lamps, and I'm assuming he was in poverty. Yeah. And becoming a doctor, great doctor, then being able to sponsor and bring his entire family over. So with all the problems that we have in society and the world, do it seems like this is an example of how one person can impact hundreds and then impact like the future generations, right? So do you think if we're able to get this service out to others and others replicate it, do you think we'll be able to fix society or work towards fixing some of societal problems that exist? So I think this is a step in the right direction. And unfortunately, the society that we live in today, the 21st century, there's a lot of different problems from whether it be from the people that are in leadership, whether it's the disruption of the family, whether the, the, the lack of morals. That way. So there's definitely a lot, of, a lot of corruption in the society, which is unfortunate. But one of the ways, as you mentioned, is to at least take care of one aspect of it, which again, just education being a game changer and being able to not have to worry about what's going to be in the fridge tomorrow. How are the lights going to be turned on? How are we going to pay for our, our next day's meal? having that aspect taken care of. And like you said, educating one person, for instance, like my father, was able to educate himself with the help of God. And now, look, he was able to, like you said, bring over 100 to He It literally affected an entire generation and generations to come just by the acts of one person. And definitely an organization has, we have seen that just in the last five years that our organization has been around that, we've educated a mother, a father, people living close to the poverty line, people who are almost being evicted. Now they, for instance, one example of a refugee that's in St. Louis. 
literally they were about to be evicted from their apartment we were able to give them enough money to start her education as a nurse and now they're not from being almost evicted uh, a husband a wife and two kids to now actually having a sustainable income that can then support their two children to go to school to go to private school so i think uh, like you said it, it can definitely make a big difference uh, it can definitely solve some of the problems in society uh, and i feel like obviously there are other problems out there and i think at least if we can solve this one problem it will it will definitely change and make a make a positive change okay so thank you guys for coming down and if somebody wants to donate to the cause is it the same website it is the exact same website so it'll be acceducate.org slash donate all right while away listeners you guys heard it directly from abdullah and uh dr Uthur. these guys are the leaders of this organization that's doing great work helping our neighbors helping the community and building for a sustainable future. So please check them out, donate, and support in any way you can. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you guys. Thank you guys.